Sentire Media Hello you, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 134, Piedmont and the Rise of the Savoy, up to the year 1255. In our continuous tour round and round and round and round Italy, I hope you're not getting too dizzy and confused, we have come around, after visiting with Genoa, to Piedmont. This is a region of Italy that we have mentioned more than once, at least some of the cities and rulers from the Piedmont area, but we haven't really stopped to consider the region itself. Now that it has come to the forefront, particularly with the rise of the House of Savoy, it's time we paid it a bit more tender loving care. After all, we wouldn't want it to feel neglected. And in the end, it is actually my home region, since I was born in the small town of Galliate, in the province of Novara. Without dwelling too much on it, we can say that the area has been inhabited since the Paleolithic. If, like me, your knowledge of prehistory is pretty rubbish, you will have to go and look that up. Don't worry, I have done it for you. It's from 2.5 million years ago to just a meager 10,000 years ago. No time at all, really. The first distinguishable people to inhabit the area would have been a population called the Liguri, who give the name to the current-day region in Italy of Liguria. We know it as the area with Genoa, and for all you tourists coming to Italy, you will know it as the area where you can find the Cinque Terre. Incidentally, there is also a town called Cinque Terre in the province of Reggio Emilia, so make sure you don't get the two confused. I once found two American tourists wandering around our province looking for the Cinque Terre, which are actually hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away. The Liguri from Piedmont would have been present also in their namesake Liguria and all the way down into our area of Emilia. The area was then taken over by the invasion of the Gauls and, of course, like everywhere else in Italy, as the story goes, the Romans came along. After the fall of the Western Roman Empire, the Ostrogoths managed to take most of the area, although the Franks would always have been sneaking around the Alps. Under the Lombards, you will remember, who arrived in the late 6th century, Piedmont was quite an important area, with Turin being the seat of an important duchy and giving rise to a couple of kings. After the defeat of the Lombards in the late 8th century, the area of Piedmont would have been governed by a series of Frankish counts under the rule of the Holy Roman Empire, and in particular the Kingdom of Italy, which was, as we have said more than once, not the kingdom of all of Italy, but just the kingdom of northern Italy. 
It was a man of Piedmontese origin who, in the late 10th century, challenged the dominance of the Holy Roman emperors when he attempted to become king of the Kingdom of Italy in 1002. This man was Arduino di Vrea, Ivrea being a city in Piedmont north of Turin. We spoke about his adventures back in episode 29. Piedmont was then affected by the commune craze from the late 11th century on, with important communes such as Asti and Alessandria, although they were the only ones who reached over around 10,000 inhabitants. But they didn't get into it in Piedmont as much as they did elsewhere, as the main dynasties already had quite a strong influence in the area. These were mainly the Marquis of Monferrato, of Saluzzo, and the Counts of Biandrate and, of course, Savoy, all of whom, at the start, were mostly at the level of other local lords, but who had more important-sounding titles from the Carolingian period. We mentioned Alessandria, but of course Alessandria didn't come along until Emperor Frederick Barbarossa arrived on the scene. You will remember that it was founded by the members of the Lombard League to counter the influence of the Empire in the Piedmont area, and which was mostly on his side at the beginning, but then switched later on during the conflict with Asti, Vercelli and Novara joining the League. After the whole Barbarossa and Legnano period passed, the Marquis of Saluzzo and Monferrato tried to take down the powerful Asti with no luck, and the Monferrato actually having to bow to the commune for the embarrassing status of the Cittadinatico, which implied a tax the nobles would have to pay to be part of the commune. The Monferrato then decided to try their luck in the Orient, starting with William Longsword, but he and his sons ended up dead by poisoning, assassination, or in battle. One of them in the infamous Fourth Crusade, and not all at the same time, you will have gathered. This, as well as other developments, left room to the expansion of the House of Savoy, but we'll concentrate more on them later. The 13th century saw a great increase in the number of small towns in Piedmont. On the one hand, with people escaping towns under the rule of local lords to found their own new communities, and the local lords themselves building new castles and the consequent surrounding hamlets that would spring up. Today, Piedmont is the region with the second greatest number of municipalities, just behind Lombardy, and with more than double the number of the third-placed Veneto. Just a quick reminder as we are going through the late 13th into the 14th centuries, keep in mind that the Piedmontese cities, duchies and so on would have constantly been suspicious, eyeing the Milanese as they continued to push their expansion west, first under the Della Torre family and then under the Visconti. The early 14th century saw an interesting side development with the Marquis of Monferrato. Indeed, in 1305, with the death of Marquis Giovanni, 
the succession managed to fall to Theodore Paleologus, son of Violante of Monferrato, and none other than the Byzantine emperor himself. So for a while, you had imperial connections getting involved in the games in Piedmont. The 14th century in Piedmont also saw issues that plagued all of Europe, and that is the Great Plague, starting in 1348, and, and the concurrent economic crisis, which started at the beginning of the century. Things got a little bit better starting in the 15th century, where the situation in Italy really started to get interesting with the Visconti and the Medici and all that, as we have seen, and in Piedmont, two main players really started to come out on top, and those are the houses of the Marquis of Monferrato and, of course, the House of Savoy. Now, in the shrouding mists of time, it is often very hard to know exactly when a dynasty starts. After all, when it does, they don't really think, let's start writing down family histories from this point on because we will be famous one day. What's more, for centuries, being a noble meant that you had to be good at chopping things up with a sword and had no time for silly things like writing and reading. The same goes for the House of Savoy. We don't really know exactly when it started up, but we have a nice starting point which is easy to calculate with the first mention of the family in exactly the year 1000. On the 25th of January 1000, a certain Comes, Count Umberto Humbert, is mentioned, receiving lands from Bishop Odo of Belay, an area in western Savoy, current-day France. Umberto went down in history as Biancamano, of the White Hand, which I mention mainly because it reminds me of Saruman. We're not really sure why he got this moniker, it could have been due to his honesty and lack of corruption, so having clean hands. It could have been a distracted or drunk copyist that made the mistake and turned Bianchi's Menibus of the White Fortresses, possibly meaning the Alps, to Bianchi's Manibus of the White Hands. It could just have been that he had really pale white hands. In any case, he is the one who pops up in the year 1000, putting exactly 1,022 years between the warrior and administrator of important alpine passes to Emanuele Filiberto, known for appearing on Dancing with the Stars and being a Swiss TV personality. Umberto I managed to stake his claim thanks to the dissolution of the Kingdom of Burgundy, particularly by backing the right horse and helping out Holy Roman Emperor Conrad II. You will remember that this also helped another important family who was emerging at the time, the Canossa, they of Matilda fame. The real strength of the Savoy was that they controlled the Alpine passes, particularly those of Monchinisio, Monginevro, and the small and large San Bernardo. These areas were very poor for farming, but if you wanted to go down into Italy from Western Europe, you had to go through their lands. 
That meant they were able to exact tolls, offer guard, accompanying, and hospitality services, as well as block the passage of unwanted troops without requiring a particularly large army. Hubert of the White Hand gave way to the first of many, many Amedeos, an Amadeo from the cadet branch of the family, Amadeo d'Aosta, the title of the brother of the kings of Italy, like the Duke of York, if you will, died less than a year ago as we record in March 2022. It was then another brother of the Amadeo we're talking about, the 11th century one, Oddo, who for the first time brought what had been a primarily French dynasty into Italy by marrying Adelaide of Turin and bringing what would become the capital of their reign and later of Italy under their control, and that city was Turin. They wouldn't maintain their hold on Turin this time around, but would eventually get their hands back on it and keep it for good. The Savoy had some pretty important ties early on, with Amadeo III, for example, being related in the early 1100s to both the Pope and the King of France. It was the King of France in particular who encouraged their expansion south into Italy since it was very convenient to have an ally rolling out the red carpet for him as far south as possible. The alliances of the House of Savoy, however, were not always one-directional. They did a good job choosing the right side in many different conflicts, allowing them not only to stay afloat, but also to prosper. For example, they sided with Pope Alexander III against the Holy Roman Emperor Barbarossa, but then, when his grandson, Frederick II, came along, they sided with him. And they would then side with the French king, Philip the Fair, between the 13th and 14th centuries, and then with Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII in the early 14th. They were not only clever with their alliances, but also with the land expansion, which they did carefully and slowly, so as not to alarm their neighbours too much and allowing them to consolidate what they added to their holdings. This they did thanks to a series of marriage alliances, a small siege here and there, and, hey presto, they managed to get all the way to Turin definitively by 1280, bringing their holdings from the Rhone River in France to the Po in Italy. Meanwhile, the succession of Humberts and Amadeos was interrupted when Amadeo III, who ruled in the late 12th century, threw a Thomas into the mix, Tommaso, due to his shock reaction to the murder of the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Becket. You know, the whole, who will rid me of this troublesome priest business. It was a Thomas who had a nasty run-in with the commune of Asti, whose rising power we mentioned at the start of the episode, and who gave the Savoy a good whipping in 1255. We will leave them there for the moment, licking their wounds after the defeat by Asti, but ready to rise to greater heights under the coloured counts. Now, I don't mean anything to do with race, also because the first of the coloured counts was the green count, so I can't imagine what race he would have been. In any case, We will catch up with them again next time.
Grazie, grazie. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters. Starting with the first half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Alison H, Amanda D, Anthony G, Bill S, Brian J, Carrie W, Celine, Cindy, Dean V, Dominic T, Emily B, Federica R, Francisco A, Gabriel S, Graeme, Greg, Gunnar, Ignazio, Il Valentino, James J, Jeff M, Jeff S, Jeffrey W, Jess and Shari, and Joseph S. And of course, the tippy top, Maria Montessori, and Dante Alighieri level, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Brandon S, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat, David, Oak, J, and Sen. And a warm welcome to new Patreon supporters, Jim G, Ella, and Philip B. Remember, if you are so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can go to our support page and become a Patreon supporter and have access to extra content or just decide to support the show. Remember also to go and check out our other podcast, The K-Rock Chelsea Hotel. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.